The New Testament reading tonight is from the book of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Truly, truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please join me as we pray? God, we do come here as sheep. We might think we have made ourselves, but you remind us that you made us and that we are the sheep of your hand and we get a lot of comfort from that. We pray as our faithful shepherd that you would guide us right now through the word that you've given to us. For your name's sake, amen. Well, if you've heard of the term gatekeeper, you know a gatekeeper is someone that controls access. Maybe it's access to a school, an admissions gatekeeper. Maybe a gatekeeper is someone that controls playing time, a coach. It may be an editor of a newspaper and controls what stories get in, all sorts of gatekeepers. And a gatekeeper can use their power well, or they can use it in a way that's not good. Maybe you've experienced both of those where someone that had some gatekeeping power really helped you out, or they blocked something that you needed. In this passage, Jesus is speaking to the gatekeepers of Israel, the religious leaders. And he confronts them and chides them that they haven't done their job well with the sheep of Israel. And he then declares that he is God's appointed gatekeeper, that he is the door, the way in to God. And he makes the I am statement, I am the good shepherd. 
Now, we've been studying these statements for the last couple weeks because it's Jesus telling us about who he is. This one's a bit trickier because under this one statement, the Good Shepherd, he actually is saying a few different things. For instance, next week he'll emphasize this idea that he's the one that sacrifices and saves and gathers. But this week, he talks about the one who gives or grants access to God. And will speak about himself as a door. So there's sort of some mixing of metaphors going around that might make the passage a little hard to understand on the surface. You know, I think our children's bulletin actually captured it well. If you happen to have seen it, we have the kids actually doing the drawings for the bulletin. And it's a picture of Jesus with a door as a body in his face. And so he's the door, but he's also mobile. And this is what he tells us in the passage. He's the way in, but he's also the one that leads out. And as we look at this, we understand as he says, I am the door, that term, I am, is a loaded phrase. It's essentially him saying, I am the Lord God. The I am of the Old Testament, and I am the Good Shepherd. And because I am the Lord God, I can be a shepherd to you in a way that no one else can. So let's look at this together, specifically how Jesus is the Lord of access. Lord of access. And we'll look at a couple different things here. That Jesus gives us legitimate access, he gets us life-giving access, and he provides us with trustworthy access. Those three things together. First of all, As the Good Shepherd, he provides legitimate access, both lawful access and intimate access. Now, you can't live in this town and not think about lawful access. I walk to and from work by the Capitol several times a week. And usually a couple times a week, I see a new bus driver or a new truck driver get redirected, right? because they want to make that turn and go by the Capitol, and you're not allowed to do that. So a police officer will stop them, no access, send them around. Or anybody that tries to visit one of the government buildings or the White House, you can go to the webpage of the Visitor Center for the White House, and it'll say, a note from our president, President Thomas Jefferson first opened the White House for public tours because he understood then, as we do now, that this house belongs to the American people. I am proud to continue his tradition. In our country, the halls of government are not reserved for a privileged few, and the president's workplace should be no exception. Your visit today helps fulfill my goal of creating the most open and accessible administration in American history. So it's this idea for Americans, access is really important. It's part of the historic understanding. And it's important to God, too. The Christian gospel tells us this is why God the Son came all the way from heaven, became a real human being, lived for decades like you and I, suffered, crucified, died and rose. He did all of that so that people might have access to God. And we also understand that lawful access is really important. If we happen to read today that someone went to the Super Bowl and had no ticket but demanded access because they just happened to be passing by and they like football, we would laugh. 
we would say, are you kidding me? Or maybe a little bit more sobering. If someone came to your door and they were unfriendly and hostile and they knocked on your door and demanded that you give access, you would call the police. Because lawful access is an important value. But when it comes to God, somehow we forget this. We struggle with it. It's a sacred belief in America that there are many doors to God and you get to choose the door. And so Jesus actually saying that he is the exclusive way in, that he is the appointed door to get to God, many people find, and maybe you here today, many people find that to be illogical and offensive. It's thought to be illogical because the thought is, well, you got all these religions, all these doors. I mean, what about the person that, for instance, grew up in Saudi Arabia? Maybe they'd never heard about Jesus. They don't get access. But the Bible actually addresses this question in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It says, from the beginning of the world, God created an access door. It was called creation. Psalm 19 says that the heavens are declaring the glory of God. They're pouring forth something of who God is. And the book of Romans says the same thing. So for those that are willing to receive the information and follow it, it will lead them to Christ, their Savior. But you know, and I know, there are some doors that we don't want to go into. There are some doors that we might want to avoid. Maybe it was the door to your principal's office when you were in school because you got in trouble. Maybe it's the door of your boss because you're expecting a bad review. Maybe, maybe it's the door of someone in your family. You have a conflict and you behave terribly and now you have to go back in and say you're sorry. There are some doors that you and I would avoid at all costs. We don't want to go into them. For the religious leaders, Jesus is that kind of door. He's the kind of door if they went into it, they would be exposed. And all of us fear that at one level. And so sin that exists in you and I, the Bible would say, sin actually would lead us to want to barricade that door going to God. In fact, we would rather create other doors rather than to go in that one and face Him. Which leads to this idea of the offense. It's really easier to choose another door, we think. We think. For instance, there are some folk that might say, I prefer to experience God in nature. That's a pretty common statement. I love to experience God in nature. But we have to admit that's pretty convenient. That's a convenient door. Because in nature, God stays kind of far away. He stays impersonal, and he never really gets up in my face. <laughs> right? He never speaks to me and challenges me. Or maybe the door you would prefer is that God is compassionate and accepting. But then he's a God that doesn't ever again challenge us and speak hard truth to us. And that's basically to say, I want a relationship on my own terms. But you and I know that's not how we work, right? I mean, if someone has damaged you, if they have harmed you, or someone you love, if they have betrayed you, I'm not guessing they come through your door unless they've repented and regretted what they've done. 
If they haven't, they're not coming through your door. And what we're saying is this, that there is a moral cover charge when you're going to enter a door. We all realize that. And God is no different. In fact, Psalm 15 talks about it. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live in your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless, who does what is right, who speaks the truth from his heart, has no slander on his tongue, does his neighbor no wrong, casts no slur on his fellow man, who even keeps his oath even when it hurts. Anybody here able to pay that cover charge? I can't. That's a tall order, right? And even though it's a tall order, we understand that it still has to be there. I mean, what sort of God would be worth our worship if you went to heaven and he was gossiping about people? You went to be with him and he was lying about people, right? We understand if anybody ought to have that standard for access, it's got to be God. But we're stuck with this idea that I can't pay that cover charge. The good news of the gospel, what Jesus is telling us here, is there is one who can. Him. He is the door. And this is the wonderful mercy of what God preaches through Christ, and that is that God so longs for you to be near him through all eternity that he would pay an unthinkable cost to get the door open so you could come in. It tells the story of God the Son who would come to earth and by his law-keeping life, that Psalm 15 life, he would fulfill all the requirements so you and I could enter that door. And not just slip in. You know, like when you're trying to catch a metro door and it's just about ready to close and slap on you? You're like, ah, I just made it. Not that, but rather a door that's wide open, a red carpet so you can walk in with full confidence. It tells us that, but it also tells the story that the Son of God was willing to be shut out. This is what happens on the cross of Christ, his crucifixion. He's willing to be shut out from the presence of God so you and I might enter in. The Father, who would rather do anything, right, than shut, slam the door on his Son, the Father who longs to welcome his Son into his presence, shuts the door. So you and I can gain access to him. He pays the cover charge so we can get in. And so we can be legit to enter that door. This is what the book of Hebrews says. Listen to this verse. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, referring to his sacrificial death there, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, or we might say door, that is his body. Since we have that confidence, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Amen. Hallelujah. We can come into the presence of God fully assured with a clean conscience because of what his son has done. That means that you and I can come in the door and know that you belong there. You really belong there. I don't know if you've ever uh, done this when you went to a game or a concert, but you had tickets 
for one seat, you know, they're sort of the cheap seats, and you're spying, and you go, look at that whole row there. I know you guys never do this. All right. Try to get a better seat. Well, when I was living up in Boston, um, the Boston Red Sox would actually give clergy from different traditions one standing room only uh, pass. And uh, one of these pastors I knew had one, and you could take a guess. So he said, let's go to a game together. And, you know, we go to the game together, and, of course, you know, it's standing. So you stand, but what you do the whole time is you try to basically sit in people's seats. So he'd say, come this way, sit. You know, and you sit in their seat, and they go, excuse me, this isn't your seat. Okay, sorry. You, you, this is beautiful, right? I mean, you know, you've got a bunch of clergy, right, running all over the place. Uh, and people, are, if, ever, if ever they knew, these are like the religious leaders in the city trying to cop people's seats. You know, anyway. But I could never relax. You know, I went once, and he said, you want to go again? I was like, ah, I'm busy. I didn't want to, you know, you can never relax. It'll be the same thing with you in the presence of God. If you're trying to get in the presence of God by your moral performance, you'll never come all the way in. I mean, you'll stand at the doorway like that. Or when you get in there, you're going to feel like a fake. It's through Jesus Christ that you and I can get in there and stand and be confident. Because he didn't give us this other way to try to slip in. And we can move from a being offended by the idea to being awestruck. Because we come to understand that in other religious faiths, God might send you a prophet or a guide or a set of laws, but in the Christian gospel, he comes himself to escort you in. In person, he comes for you and to bring you in. Legitimate access. But we also are given life-giving access. As Jesus expands on the analogy, He who does not enter by the sheepfold, by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, back in that day, uh, a sheep pen could be the courtyard of someone's home, or it was several families that would put their sheep together in a courtyard. It was sort of like a community garden, a community pen. And then they would hire an under-shepherd who would guard the door and would actually allow people in if they were authorized. And if a thief wanted to get the sheep, they would simply, and there was a pretty big space, they'd wait until night and they would go around and they would climb up a couple feet and grab one of the sheep and go. But that was the setup. And Jesus uses this figure of speech to explain a few things. One, he uses it to connect the people of God historically with the flock. And you see this of Israel. They're called the flock of sheep. He refers to his disciples that way. So that's one connection. The second connection he's making is that between thieves and robbers and the religious leaders of Israel at that time. Maybe not all, but many. They were the Pharisees who were sort of like the pastors and the scribes who were the theological experts. That's who he's talking to when he says this. Saying that they were actually false sheep because they exercise authority over God's people in an illegitimate way and they do it in an immoral way. We'll get to that in a moment. 
But when Jesus says, all that came before me are thieves and robbers, he's not saying that people like Moses or David or Joshua were illegitimate. He's talking about those that try to misuse that authority. And then he says, but all those little shepherds that were good shepherds culminate in me, the true, faithful, good shepherd of the people of God. But in Luke 11, he expands a bit on why he was so hot after and angry at these religious leaders. He gives a series of judgmental woes. And he says, you know, woe to you because you love self-importance. You love the place of honor. That one hits close to home, doesn't it? It's very easy in this city to love self-importance. He says that to them. He says, woe to you because you love to do your acts of righteousness in front of people. That one hits close to home too, right? We might have our service and the things we do. He says, you love to do it in front of people. Woe to you because you love money. Woe to you that you burden the sheep with all these extra rules and things that you've invented. This is what he was angry about. This is why he said, you are not faithful sheep. But in contrast, you have Jesus the good shepherd who does the opposite. First of all, the vulnerable and weak are drawn to him. And how does he use his authority? I mean, this is the Son of God. He uses his authority to become like a slave, to take the lowest place, to wash feet, and to offer himself as a sin offering. He is the one that uses his authority to liberate people from bondage, not to bear them down with more and more rules. He doesn't look to steal and kill, but to give life, abundant life. And this is what he says, I have come to give life-giving access to you. Now, you know there are a lot of doors that are claiming to give life-giving access in this world, in this city. One of those doors for you might say career, where you thought, if I go through that door, it's going to really give me the life I want, and you find you're working 80 hours a week and all your relationships are falling apart. Maybe your marriage. Or one of those doors maybe says pleasure. You know, if I could just really have freedom to do what I want, whatever it would be, all kind of pleasure. And then you find it's not life-giving, it's actually life-taking, it's addiction. Or maybe that door was relationship. If I could just have that relationship, it would be life-giving for me. But only God can give us life. Things can't give us life. And so in his love for us, he will sometimes deny access to things that we really want, that are very hurt, you know, that, that hurt us when he denies that access. Won't let us go in the door. In fact, Jesus gives a very vivid and shocking picture of this. He says it's better to enter life maimed without a limb or an eye. He's not talking literally, but it's better to lose the thing that you would treasure and hold so close and enter life rather than to go into hell with it. And so it's a painful, radical thing that he does. And it's a hard teaching. There was a time once where Jesus was teaching, and it was another hard teaching, and a bunch of people left. He said, forget this. And he said to Peter and the apostles, do you want to leave too? And this is what Peter said to him. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, there are going to be teachings and things that God calls you to that will make no sense at all unless you first experience the life of Jesus. I mean, it may be a hard teaching, a hard teaching about chastity or sexuality. And until you experience life in Jesus, it won't make any sense. It may be a hard teaching about status. For some of us, the biggest nightmare we could have is that we would be average or a nobody and that we might go through life without anybody seeing our real talents. It might be a hard teaching like that, but until you experience life in Jesus and understand that He is looking at you, it won't make any sense. It might be a hard teaching on cultural blindness, where I thought one way and I thought this way about life in the world, and I'm beginning to see that it wasn't that way. My confidence was misplaced. It was placed in my own cultural heritage or my race instead of in God. But once you have life in Jesus, he opens up your eyes to a whole community of life. And I know many of you could give that testimony. You could say here, I lost the relationship that I really wanted, but you know what happened? God came really close to me for the first time. Or it might be, you know, I didn't get the job two years ago that I wanted, but you know what happened? I ended up moving here, and I met this best friend that I couldn't imagine my life without, or I met my spouse. Or it could be to you, you know, I watched my health dwindling away, And I never thought that God would actually use it to make me spiritually stronger and a light to other people. This past week, uh, the former president of the ministry InterVarsity and also Columbia Theological Seminary, a guy named Steve Hayner, uh, succumbed to a battle with pancreatic cancer. We had a member of our church succumb to that disease as well. And uh, he is uh, friends with Kevin and Amy Offner. Kevin just prayed this evening. And they sent around just an email of his wife when she sent the news that he had died. And this is what she wrote. I want to let you know that Steve's life was swallowed up by, not death, Steve's life was swallowed up by life this afternoon. You see... That's what the Christian gospel tells you. You see, in our mindset, death swallows things up. But when you come to know Christ who gives life, you realize that's not the case at all. I'm being swallowed up by life. I'm headed into greater life, more life, healed life, eternal life, abundant life, life life-giving access. But lastly, he gives us trustworthy access. Jesus says, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. It was typical on that day that flocks were about a hundred sheep. And a Near Eastern shepherd, the way he would lead that sheep, lead the sheep, would be 
through his voice, much like someone might do with a dog that responds to their voice. But it wouldn't be unusual for him to know his sheep so well and them to know him that he would have a different call or a different way he would address those different sheep. They would follow. It's really quite amazing. And if someone acquired a sheep that belonged to another family, that sheep might not eat for a period of time, lag behind, be agitated and anxious until it grew trustworthy with the voice of that shepherd, comfortable. And you can understand the only way a thief could actually get at a sheep is had to crawl and take them and sometimes even kill them because there's no way that that sheep is going to follow that stranger's voice. This is the analogy that Jesus gives for himself and his people, those that follow him. And there's a couple things we draw from this. He says that they know his voice. What does this mean? Well, one, that his voice is convincing and effective. The first couple years we were here in the city, when we started the church, I was tutoring at a place called the Fishing School. And it used to be on Wiley Street, now it's somewhere else. And I, I was down there with a woman, um, her name was Mrs. Neal. And we had, you know, anywhere from, I don't know, 8, 10, 14 kids on a given day in a pretty small room. And every now and then, uh, Mrs. Neal would leave the room. And you could just start to feel things bubbling. You know, and I know she was probably testing to see if I was actually growing and getting better at what I do. And I would start to try to use my voice effectively. Kids, you know, hey, hey guys, guys, you know, can we, hey, you, know you know, and then it's divide and conquer, right? This was, you know, I mentioned that uh, Jackie Took did this great training. This is exactly what you're not supposed to do, right? You're not supposed to let them divide and conquer. But there, then I'm running, you know, this guy, this guy. She'd step in the room and go, kids. Her voice was effective, right? It convinced, it persuaded for many reasons. Well, theologians will say that there is an external call of God, and it's the one that goes out into all the world, partly through the created world, but through the gospel that's preached, it goes out to everybody. But there's an internal call where God persuades us and convinces us that's your voice. But you know what he has to do to do that? I mean, sin will make us do this. Sin basically makes us put our fingers in our ears and just go la, 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 la. And so he has to unstop our ears, and all of a sudden we hear the most beautiful music playing. It becomes irresistible. We have to hear that voice singing, the voice. We have to hear it. It's an effectual voice. And Jesus will demonstrate this in a couple weeks when we look at him uh, raising Lazarus from the dead by calling him out. But he said something in chapter 5 that explained this. He said this, For as the Father has life in himself, again the life theme, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. That's key. Jesus isn't saying that I give God's life. I have the life to give. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear the Son of God's voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus is saying that his voice actually is so effective he will be able to call people from tombs from the dead as they stand before God. And as he raises Lazarus, that's part of what he's doing. It's an effective voice. What I'm saying is this. 
sometimes behind our objection, what about if people don't hear? Listen, the question is, is God able to get his voice through to people? Yes, he is. He is very able. His arm is not too short to save, and his voice is not too dull to persuade. It's what he does. But it's also a personal access because his voice is personal. He says he calls his own sheep by name. Own sheep by name. What that means is when someone comes to know the Good Shepherd, they begin to understand that they've been saved by name, they have been loved by name, that God prays for them by name. There's a wonderful hymn called, I Heard the Voice of Jesus Say. Listen, I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest, lay down, thou weary one, lay down on my breast. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I freely give the living water, thirsty one. Stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. What are you hearing the voice of Jesus saying? What do you hear it say? As you pray, as you read the Bible, is it rest? Is it drink? Is it come near? Do you hear it personally? This is what happens when you come to know God. If you're attentive, you begin to hear his voice speaking to you. It's not something that's a miracle that happens just to a few people. He says all his sheep hear his voice. We really need to get away from this idea of there's some people that might say, well, you know, I heard God say today, well, I guess that's just for some people. God speaks to his children every day if they'll listen. But lastly, it's a guiding access. Unlike cattle or maybe even sheep, they're sometimes driven, Near Eastern shepherds didn't drive the sheep. They led them out with their voice. They didn't have to manipulate or coerce. Their voice was enough. You know, it's sort of that image of the Pied Piper. In fact, some shepherds would actually play flutes and have music that would guide them out. You and I can get very anxious about how life will lead, right? I don't know what that is for you today. We get anxious. Where will my life lead? Where, like, where will be the place that I lead? What about my marital status or relationship status or friendship status? Where will that lead? Where will my health lead? Where will my finances lead? Where will my career lead? And what the, Jesus is saying to us here is for someone that is his sheep, life doesn't lead you anywhere. Jesus leads you. God leads you not life. That means that you and I aren't being tossed around by the current of life. A sheep doesn't have to grope and go, which way do I go? God leads you. When you talk about God's will, for someone who's a Christian, there's never a plan B. This idea that I was on the train of God's will and I screwed up a couple years ago and I fell off and I've been playing catch-up, it's impossible. He is always guiding his sheep. Even to the last part of the journey. 
I mentioned uh, the passing of Steve Hayner, and there was one other little excerpt in the email, and it came from one of his friends, and he wrote it to him while he was living. And he said, uh, one of my favorite stories about us, Steve, is uh, when we were at a retreat center, and don't you remember, I had to lead you on the trust walk. Now, some of you may know these things. You know, there's trust falls where someone falls backwards, and you hold. A trust walk was where they, you would blindfold one of the pair, and the other person would lead you through the woods. And he said, don't you remember that you were blindfolded and I was leading you through the woods and I was having you to step over logs and branches were hitting you in the face and you were getting in sort of the brambles and all these things, you know. And, and he said, and I led you up to six, six inches short of a big grassy plain. But you didn't know because you were blindfolded. And I led you right up to that plain and I said, I'm going to count down from three, two, one. And when I do, blindfolded, I want you to run. And he said he ran, and he just screamed, and then he realized he was in this open field. And this is what he said to him. This is the journey of head for you, my friend, whenever it is that you take it. The word is behind you, but also goes before you. The word made flesh walks with you and is within you. And therefore, all shall be well, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. It's what it means to understand that the Good Shepherd guides you, even to the very end. And he leads all that believe in him the same. So there is a door I want to say to you this evening, and that door is before you. And you have a real choice to make with that door. If you're in that door and you've walked in it, are you walking deeper and further into it? If you're on the edge of it, where else will you go? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you honor as the resurrected one, as the good shepherd that is faithful to his sheep. Lead us, O Lord. In Christ's name, amen.